Hey everyone, this is Mark Kenyon of Wired to Hunt, and you're listening to episode 23 of the audio version of the 100% Wild podcast. And today, we're back with Terry Drury, and we're answering a listener-submitted question about scouting new properties in the postseason. This one is particularly relevant to this time of year, so stick around and enjoy. Hey guys, welcome back to the 100% Wild podcast. I'm Mark Kenyon here with Wired to Hunt, and with me is Matt Drury from Drury Outdoors. How are you? Good man, how are you doing? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. It's uh, it's the end of the season here in Michigan, so now I'm just uh, getting excited for shed hunting, basically. <laughs> so, I don't, have, have you guys you been seeing shed bucks yet? That's what I was just going to ask you. I, I have not seen anything here in Michigan, but I'm I'm obsessively watching it because uh, I'm really hoping yeah. to find Holyfield sheds this year. So I'm gonna have more cameras out than ever probably more cameras out than I had during the season almost now just hoping to keep track of when this deer loses his antlers so that uh, I can call all my friends and try to scour everything and find them so my fingers are crossed we saw a shed buck last night hunting actually so it's it's you know they're starting and I know Terry and Mark uh, have as well so it's, it's starting yeah so speaking of Terry right your your dad Terry was with us again today absolutely we got we got the old man for one more question Hey Terry. Hey guys, how we doing? Doing good. Thanks for joining us again. No problem. Yeah. So, have you? How many shed bucks have you seen, Terry? You know, we've only seen the one, but uh, got another one that looked like it shed one side. But we did. We saw one buck that had shed both sides pretty clean already, and that was uh, oh about a week and a half ago. So they are starting, but it's not unusual to see some of the mature deer this time of year where their testosterone level drops so low and and they start dropping antlers. It's not uncommon this time of year. When are you seeing most of the antlers dropping in your area most years? You know, typically by the 10th to the 15th of March, they're all off uh, for, the, for the most part. I'm going to say 95% of them are off by, by the 15th of March. But it's just very random. I think it depends on that testosterone level. And a lot of times you'll see a 2-year-old or 3-year-old that may carry them a little longer. Uh, because so many of those older bucks now have dropped their antlers and, and the testosterone level is low across the board. So the ones that still do have that, you know, have that need to chase, you see them carry theirs a little bit longer. And I think it's just random depending on, you know, maybe even it may all go all the way back to when they were born, uh, you know, so how old they are. So uh, I think it's just random depending on the personality of the deer. Interesting. Yeah, it seems like I've seen something similar. And, and around us, it, on average, it seems like most of the antlers are starting to drop in like mid-February through mid-March. Like that month time frame, it seems like around us is that sweet spot. But to your point, it can happen at any time. And it also seems that, um, I think I've heard you guys mention this too, that if there's a buck that has had some kind of issue, a little injury or malnourished or anything like that, those seem to be the bucks that are shedding the earliest. Is that what you guys have seen too? Yeah. Yes. Typically, the ones that are injured, you'll see them drop pretty quick and fairly early. You know, and one of the things I'd like to add here is I think guys sometimes it's kind of like holding the bit back, you know, or holding the reins back on a horse, a race horse. You know, they want to get out there and they want to find all those sheds before somebody else gets in there and finds them. But a lot of times you can do more harm than good, you know, and have an adverse effect if you go in there a little bit too early. They're all still packing their antlers and you push them out of your parcel particularly if it's a small tract of ground, the last thing you want to do is run them out. So you got to kind of be careful. It's a fine line, a tightrope that you walk. If you do go in there looking for a few sheds, 
you might want to be selective about what time of the day you go, what wind you go in on, and, and uh, tip in there and tip back out of there, or glass from a distance, see if you can see one land in an open field or something. But last thing you want to do is go in there and push them all out of there. That's a great point. Do you, do you, you know, some guys put out, like, contraptions where they can try to ca- capture, you know, the, the shed as it, as it comes off, you know, like a fence or whatever near some corn or something or analogics or whatever they put out. Uh, have you tried that before, Dan? You know, I did. We actually used some of those utilization cages that we have for our bean fields, and uh, we just configured it a little bit differently. And I, I picked up a few that way, but I didn't, I didn't grab too many big ones like that. Uh, and guys that, you know, are in states where you can feed, like Kansas and Texas and uh, Ohio, you know, there are a lot of states where you can go ahead and put feed on the ground. And uh, I think the deer are accustomed to coming to those. Sometimes those, those states, you may be a little more productive with those, those antler catchers. But I didn't have very good luck with them, to be honest with you. Needle in a haystack. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's the truth. Well, uh, other than shed hunting, I know something that a lot of people are going to be thinking about this time of year is starting to scout, you know, for the next year. And that's actually what our question of the day today is about. So, Matt, what do you think about getting right to that one? Let's do it. Hey, fellas. This is Chris from University of Georgia. I'm a piece of property I have the opportunity to hunt next deer season. I'm going to go up at the end of this season and actually do some scouting. I'll have one or two days. My question is, if y'all have a piece of property, this one's only 90 acres, that you've never set foot on, and all you've been able to do is see from Google Earth and uh, Google Google Maps. What what would your approach be on scouting? Uh, what would be the most important things for me to focus in on to put myself in a good situation to get a kill come next season? Thank you, guys, for your help. So, what do you think about that one, Terry? You know that exact scenario we did uh, last year. And we had parcel property. It was just a little bit bigger than that. It was, but not much. And we went in this time of year and I was really looking at rub lines, if you can believe that. And we, you know, there were a lot of trails, but this time of year, the trails are a little bit different than they are early season and even during the rut uh, because of the lack of cover. So the trails are substantially uh, noticeable this time of year, but they may or not, may or may not be the trails you want to be hung on come early season. So we did that last year, and we went in and did a lot of trimming and a lot of hanging. But I look at structure and always have. You know, if you've got a saddle and a ridge or you've got, uh, you know, maybe even a ravine or something that you know you can get in and out, in and out of a set, and you've got to kind of think forward and say, what's this going to be like come September and October when I'm planning on hunting here or maybe even late October and first part of November? It's, it's so substantially different right now with the woods being open, all the leaves are off. So cover is a big, big issue. But looking at those trails and studying the sign, those rubs, regardless what time of the year they were made, there's very little rubbing going on right now. So the, for the most part, those rubs were created you know, in the end of September, middle of October, end of October. All those rubs that you're seeing kind of give you the, uh, the roadmap that you're looking for, and particularly big rubs, you know, that big sign that you're after. So I look at rubs and I look at structure, and then we try and determine how we're going to get in there and what type of access we're going to have during the end of October or first part of November. Typically, I like to hang those stands high on the ridges for a morning hunt when we know those thermals are going to be carrying your scent upwards, and I like to hunt low for an evening hunt. 
you know, when normals are going to be dropping and pushing down, you know, uh, maybe a counterclockwise rotation with a falling barometer, I definitely want to be down low. Uh, and then you got to look at access. How are you going to get in there and not blow out everything that you're hunting? Whether it's 90 acres, 9 acres, or 900 acres, you still got to think about access and not running the deer out that you're planning on hunting. So we look at all that. Access is a really, really big deal, and I think it's about half the battle, to be quite honest with you. So last year we did the exact same scenario that Chris was talking about, went in, did a bunch of scouting. I don't mind walking a parcel of property in February and March when you know they're, you know, some of them have already dropped their antlers or a lot of them are off, and you can go in there and really study those trails, study the rubs, and uh, even big scrapes. You know, if you've got a community scrape or a hub scrape that's still prevalent, pretty good chance that scrape's going to be hot early season at the end of October next year. Yeah, I think this is a great time of year to be focusing on this type of thing too because, you know, assuming, you know, like you said, assuming the snow has melted already, you're going to be able to still see that sign from the rut. But at the same time, you don't need to worry about spooking deer. You know, if a lot of people, I think, find a new property and they go and try to scout it in late summer or just before the hunting season. And then, of course, you know, that's going to have a negative impact on your hunting that year. But if you're out there in late winter, early spring doing this kind of stuff, you can see the area much better than you would any other time of year because, you know, you can see that sign. The new greenery hasn't come up yet and you don't need to worry about, you know, potentially putting that pressure on. And then, of course, if you happen to wait till after shed season, you got the added bonus of maybe finding some bone too. So uh, I know that I'm going to be out there a lot in the next couple months. But I'm curious, Terry, you talked about structure and how you're focusing on that type of stuff. But when you're doing your late winter scouting, do you pay attention at all to food or water or try to guess what the food might have been during the hunting season, even though that might be different now? Absolutely. You know, we're going we're gonna to take a view from 10,000 feet and look at what's around us as much as, you know, what's uh, immediately there in your area. But I think the big picture is almost as important, if not more important, when it comes to hunting mature whitetails. And one of the things I wanted to add that we did last year on that parcel of property, because it was new, we got extremely aggressive and assertive when it came to trimming. I mean, we were cutting a lot of trees, had, you know, saws and the whole bit in there because the last thing I wanted to do was go in there in July and August and do some real aggressive trimming. So we did it in February. We hung our stands in February, got everything, you know, the safety lines, got the whole thing in there ready to hunt, ready to climb up and sit down. So we did it in February and March in lieu of doing it in July and August. Uh, Lack of mosquitoes, lack of ticks, lack of snakes, all those good things make it really, really easy to, to hang and hunt or to hang it this time of year so that you can hunt it next fall. But in answer to your question, I think, you know, structure and and looking at food source, all of those elements enter into it. It's one big chess match and trying to figure out that that entire game by looking at the whole board makes a big difference. And if you've got corn one year, it's going to be rotated into beans the following year. You know, they may be on those beans early on, uh, but it's not cover. You know, corn is a little bit different. Not only is it a food source, but it's also cover. So until that corn is cut or until it's picked, you know, then all of a sudden they eliminate half of their bedroom. Uh, beans isn't like that. You know, when they defoliate and the leaves fall off, the beans are still there, obviously. There's a food source there, but it's not cover like corn is. So you got to think about that as well, you know, and, and those food sources, you know, usually get rotated each and every year. Yeah, yeah, that's a great point. Uh, kind of while you're saying that, my mind jumped to something a little bit tangential. 
Um, and, and it comes down to efficiency of scouting at this time of year, or really at any time of year. He mentioned he only has a day or two, and, and he might not have the whole day. Um, I've had some situations like this where I've picked up permission on a new property. Um, this actually happened last summer when I got permission on a new spot in Iowa, and I had one day to go and knock on doors. So I knocked on 14 doors during one day and finally got permission on one. And then the next day, I had the first half of that to actually try to scout that property before I had to drive back home to Michigan. And so the way I was able to pull that off and kind of how I'd recommend or suggest people trying something like this if they're limited on time, maybe it's out of state or something, is spend a lot of your scouting time before you actually get out there and spend that time on Google Earth or on your maps and figure out based on the aerial view where you think some of these things might be. So just like you said, Terry, look for structure like ridges or saddles um, or all these different types of things. Find those things on the maps. Find where you think the food's going to be. Find where you think the funnels are going to be. And either print out a map or mark it up on your phone or something. And then prioritize those spots when you actually go in the next day or whatever it is on foot. I think um, if you have the time, it's great to walk an entire property, you know, every single bit of it. But most of us might not have that kind of time. So if you can focus in on the key spots and you have a hypothesis, I think this is going to be X. And then go confirm that. And I think you can really knock off the most important pieces of the puzzle right off the bat if you kind of plan it like that. Go check those key hot spots that you think will be like that and then determine whether or not you are right. That's a great way to knock out some some good scouting on a short amount of time, I think. You really almost described to a T what we did last year. We took that aerial photo and we had it laminated and then uh, ended up you know, marking all of our stand locations, what wind direction, how we'd access it. So you've, you've pretty much described a recipe for a guy to go in and take a new parcel of property, particularly this time of year. I think you can be more effective right now than you can in June and July and August anyway, because you see so much more. When the woods are open like they are right now, you can see an awful lot when it comes to structure. And, uh, you know, old scrapes never go away. They really don't. You know, a few leaves may blow in them, but for the most part, those ones that are down to bare dirt, they're going to be there even when they're snow covered. And you can usually see the indentation. So scrapes are really, really advantageous as far as understanding when a buck might be going to that at the end of October or middle October, and then also looking at that rub line, how he's getting to and from a food source, because a lot of times if it's in beans, those rubs may be extremely early. If it's in corn, it may some of that rub, rub line may be a little bit later. So you gotta understand what crop was in at that period of time. And not everybody has tillable fields or crop grounds surrounding their hunting area. So you have to understand if you're hunting a, a pasture area or maybe alfalfa fields, when it's most palatable and what time of year those rubs were deposited and made. So all of it enter, enters into it. It's a big chess match. It's understanding and looking at it from a big picture, not necessarily from a, a micro, but really from a macro kind of a mentality. How often does it happen when you, you know, you, you've done the scouting this time of year, February, January, February, March, whatever, you, you hang your stands and you looked at the, the aerials, well, then you get in and start hunting it the next fall and you actually have visual evidence of what's happening and you've, you've maybe, you're not on them quite like you thought you would be and you have to readjust. Does that happen often to you? Or, I mean, it probably happens, you know, on every piece of property, I would assume. That's never happened. Yeah. <laughs> it happens almost every event. Yeah. You know, and you're always tweaking. You're always trying to figure them out. Again, the chess match continues. And uh, once in a while you get right, but, you know, and you hit the home run. But more often than not, you know, because they don't read the script, and we've said that for years, uh, they're, you know, they're on their own time and their own, own direction. 
So uh, often we'll change and tweak those sets or we may trim or do additional trimming or, or find out, you know, we're hunting it on the wrong wind. And that's something that we talk about internally, but we haven't talked about it externally. When you sit a stand this time of year and there's no foliage on, you're going to get a pretty true wind. When you sit a stand in the early season and all the foliage is on, you never get a true wind. It's almost impossible depending on whether you're hunting high or hunting low on that particular area. And uh, guys, you know, you go to a spot and you think, okay, I'm going to hunt this on a north. And it turns out to be a, a north is a south and a south is a north. A lot of times it's because of the foliage. You know, it'll come whipping down that foliage and, and then all of a sudden you got a backdraft and you're trying to figure out why. So it, it, there's a lot of things that can change change once you get in there. And uh, we've had that happen more often than not. On that Illinois piece you keep referencing, uh, I know that you had a couple that you leased over there. The one where I killed this this fall, or actually in December there, you guys had, you and Michael went in there and, and hung that set and trimmed it, what, a, a week, a couple days before I came in there? What was it? day or two it was like two days before you came in Matt so what what was it on that specific piece because we hadn't been hunting there really you know you guys maybe had hunted it once or twice so what told you guys in that instance okay we had these stands set in these other spots but this is where we need to be well Michael's just really smart for one thing (laughs) so we you know, we went in there, we were looking at tracks, believe it or not. And if you if you got big tracks on a field, big buck tracks, and you had a, we had a volunteer food source. And, you know, here's here's something that I don't know that's ever happened to us. We, we had an extremely wet end of summer and fall and extremely warm temperatures where a lot of volunteer stuff came up this year that's never, ever happened before. And a lot of stuff that we planted rotted. And that's never happened before. So it was a little different this year. But to answer your question, we went in there. We were looking at big tracks. I didn't even have a reconics camera set up over there. We didn't have pictures. We did in a general location, but we didn't right there where we, where we uh, picked the set to hang. And hunting, uh, hanging a set for firearms is always a little easier than it is hanging a set for archery tackle. And we were hanging it for a firearms. We we knew the location. We knew there were some big deer in that area, and we were really going on tracks and where they were feeding out into that field. And that volunteer food source was coming up in that cut corn. It was it was a greenery that they were on because of the warm temperatures. So we literally went in there two days before you came in, hung it, and uh, it was only about eight foot off the ground. It was low, but it was just it was set up for firearms, and you whacked a nice deer with a tradition muzzleloader. So it worked out pretty good. Yeah, it was kind of in a uh, like a finger of the the, the timber. So the way it, just the cut corn kind of wrapped around it, and it was in the finger there. I mean, did that kind of have anything to play into your decision and to hang in that finger as opposed to the other side of the you know the other side of the timber? Or you know, there was a lot of options there, but that one finger was it just based on the tracks, I guess. That and wind. You know, we were really looking at wind direction when you could hunt it on the right wind, and we knew kind of because of the. 10-day forecast we knew what winds we were going to have and how you could access that so we were all the way out in the tip of that finger and we were expecting that movement to come out and feed forward we talk about it all the time feeding them forward and it was going out into a more open area so you know some of that happens at night where they won't go out into those open areas until the latter part of the evening and we were trying to catch them coming out of the timber there so but we were all the way out in the tip of that finger and uh, it was as much about access and wind direction, getting in there without doing any damage. Hey, thanks, by the way. <laughs> oh, um, by the way, I didn't, 
kill one over there with a fire, just so you know. <laughs> I know. You killed one with a bow, though. It, it was a real I nice kill one with so. a bow. Matter of fact, two states, Missouri and Illinois, to give everybody that's listening an idea. You know, they think every time we climb up, we kill one. I went two states this year and did, didn't kill uh, a deer in either state with a firearm. Uh, Illinois and Missouri, I didn't kill a deer in either one of them. I was telling Aaron Bennett last night, we were sitting in the stand, I never had a deer while I was actually bow hunting come within bow range. I had one during the Missouri firearm season, but I just, not a mature buck, I should say. So I, you know, it's just sometimes you you can't do anything right. Sometimes you can't do anything wrong, but with a bow, I I just, I never saw anything mature walk in front of us. So, you know, what are you going to do in that situation? It wasn't for lack of hunting either. How is it that every time Mark and Taylor climb up, they do everything right? <laughs> you you always say uh, it's it's not always about you; it's about your spot. <clears throat> there, it's kind of a perfect combination. It's about Mark and his spot. <laughs> he's made his spot unbelievable. He just uh, he's the master, man. Oh my goodness! They don't I... call him mad scientist for nothing. They don't. No. It's amazing. Everything that they kill, they work their butts off for. I mean, they do put in. He and Wade specifically put in. You know, like you and Michael and many other people out there, but they, they put in the time. It's not by happenstance. It's it's a calculated everything they do is very, very calculated. You know You know, I don't know that he gets the credit that he deserves, and I'll give him kudos here, because he is such a tactician and such a strategist. That guy he literally lays awake at night trying to figure things out, <laughs> and he usually does. Just not only from a stand location and how he plants food plots and access and weather and thermals and every single thing that he does, there's a reason for it. And uh, he kills big deer with regularity. And there's only a handful of people in our industry that do it as regularly as he does. And that's a pretty small group, pretty elite group. He killed. But I don't know many better at it than he is. He, I really don't. He killed five gross boons this year, just this season. Mm-hmm. It's un. Oh it's my un. Gosh. I mean, it's you know. He, he's he's a stud. There's no doubt about it. And it's not, you know, that there was one in Missouri. There was one in Texas. There was, you know, the three in Iowa. And he killed three there last year in Iowa. I mean, he he's not, not just doing it on his one piece there in Iowa. He's he's doing it in multiple spots. So it's it's amazing, really. You know, I, I always hear, and I'm sure you guys hear this too, um, you know, people see that and then they complain or they'll say something like, well, that only happens because he hunts in Iowa and he's got this huge property, blah, blah, blah. It was handed to him on a silver plate. And I always think to myself, (laughs) I always think about, you know, whether it's Mark or Terry or anybody who, who is having success like that. The only reason why you guys are having that kind of success is because you chose to put in a tremendous amount of work, sacrifice a lot of other things to put yourself in a position to have that. But it's not like, this wasn't just like some magical thing that appeared for Mark and he has this wonderful property and he just kills big bucks because it was a gift to him. I'm sure he's put in an unbelievable amount of work. I'm sure he's sacrificed spending money on a lot of other things so that he could invest in a property and all the different things that he's working on to, to produce these kinds of deer to have the time to do that. So I don't understand people who, who uh, I don't know, who say who try to take something away from that. It's, you know, there's there's different ways of hunting. Some people might like to hunt public land. Some people might like to hunt private. But there's lots of challenges and lots of work that goes into both. I think part of it, 
the the spotlight that we're in today is much different than the one we were in in 1989 and you know 1999 and it's a, we're much more visible than we were back then and if they could have seen the beginnings you know we're working on a project for Cabela's right now where we're going through old footage and I mean it's comical you, you know the the it's it's forks it's spikes it's the deer that everybody grew up killing you know what I mean it's 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 that same caliber of deer and it's been through time and hard work and getting their first piece of property and working their tail off to pay that off and then sell it and buy another piece of property it doesn't happen overnight and it hasn't but what has happened is our visibility is much greater than it was back then when we weren't killing those kind of deer and so the the true hardcore jury outdoors fan has seen that progression over the years but the fly-by-night social media person has no idea they may have not even heard of us before and they're just seeing maybe that taylor's killing 180s and you know mark every time you turn around he seems like he's sitting behind a giant and terry's had a great year and they see that kind of thing and you know, when you click on, you know, their profile to see who, wh who's talking smack about you, why are they saying this? They don't know you. A lot of times it, it may be a young kid, you know, they don't know where our beginnings were. Yeah. A lot of times it might be somebody that, you know, um, just, just, they don't know anything about you. So you just kind of take it, you brush it off and you keep moving on. It's, it's, you, you try not to put too much stock in it, but it's it's always hurtful when people are saying these things about our company, about our family, about our team members, and they really don't know the work that the and the effort that these guys put into it. But at the end of the day, you just keep moving on and you keep putting the work in and you keep killing the deer that these guys kill. It's not by accident. That's all you can do. Well, do you think there's anything else we need to touch on when it comes to scouting? I'll leave that to the master. Terry, did we cover it? Well, I, I think we did. I thought we did a good job of covering this time of year, you know, because it's so vastly different from that June, July, and August period, you know, when you're in there sweating your tail off and you're trimming and depositing a tremendous amount of scent. I think you can be extremely effective if you fast forward and say, what's this going to look like? Or try and visualize a picture of what that parcel is going to look like when the foliage is full. And uh, if you're a visionary and you can go in there and you, you know what it's going to look like and you start doing the trimming, you get your sets hung, you make sure you've got plenty of straps. We put ratchet straps. Make sure you've got your safety line up. Make sure that you're ready to climb up and hunt. You may have to make one trip in there during the summer months to enhance it a little bit, but I think you can be extremely effective. And then you go in with the attitude, you know what, if i got to move it just a little bit, 20 yards, 50 yards, and tweak it, then you do that. But uh, more often than not, if you make a decision now, a lot of times, particularly on a rub line or scrape line, right now you can you can be pretty effective come uh, October. Great advice. You know, one really quick thing that just popped into my mind that we haven't really touched on yet that I just think is is something that everybody should at least be considering is when you're doing your scouting at this time of year, just be keeping an eye out for those types of places where you think bedding areas might be once you get into the hunting season. Because obviously knowing where deer are bedding is going to be really important to how you plan your access routes. It's going to be really important to how you choose when to hunt at certain times of the year. So thinking, okay, this looks like a spot where there's probably going to be some doe bedding. Keep that in mind come the rut. If you see a, a perfect little knob coming off of a ridge where you can see a big old oval in it where a deer has been bedding often and maybe a couple of rubs next to it, that's probably a spot where a buck might be bedded sometimes. And just kind of mark those up on your map and remember that come the season. 
those types of keys will be part of the puzzle too. And I think that's just one thing to always keep in mind. It's not just food. It's not just trails and rubs and everything. Those beds can make a big difference. So that's the only other thing I'd add. Great point, Mark, because the bedding areas this time of year are vastly different from the bedding areas, you know, in uh, August and September when you've got those temperatures in the 100, 110 degree range versus now when they're in that 10 degree range, you know, they're sitting on some south facing slopes right now trying to catch that morning sun. It's not like that in uh, August and September. Yeah. You say that I busted two does up last night on a south facing <laughs> slope on my way to the way box to line. Yeah. <laughs> and those deer didn't come out until dark. Because, I mean, all the other deer from all the other spots came out early, but those deer, it totally screwed us up for getting movement on the fresh cut corn. It didn't happen. And I solely thought it was because we bumped those two deer that then bumped who knows how many other deer, you know, further into the property. Well, uh... great, great point. We call that a domino effect. Yeah. And, you know, granted the deer this time of year on that late season feed pattern where they may only move at quarter after four or four twenty. But you know what? When you walk in there and they're laying on those south-facing hillsides and they see you, you're either going to bump them or they're going to move after dark. And we're very, very uh, conscious of that when we go in. We actually go in earlier now than we did during the normal time of the year because we're just wanting to try and get in there and let things settle down a bit and trying to slip in there and, and maybe get into the set without bumping them out of their beds. And, and you can do that. But, boy, it's tough this time of year because the woods are so open. Oh, yeah. And they're loud, too. It just seems yeah. like the sound travels so far. <laughs> well, that was a pretty good podcast. I appreciate you joining us again, Dad. It's uh, always fun to have you and Mark on. Hey, no problem, guys. Mark, I hope you get uh, Holyfield next year. I hope you find those sheds. Thank you. Me, too. I appreciate it. I, uh, I'll be one happy camper if I do. So uh, fingers are crossed. <laughs> and uh, and I guess with that, Matt, let's let's wrap this one up. And... To everyone out there listening or watching, just a couple quick reminders. If you're not already, be sure to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or wherever you go to get your audio podcasts. And of course, over on the Drury Outdoors YouTube channel, you can subscribe there as well. And then if you have a question, especially if it's about postseason work or shed hunting or anything like that coming up, we'd love to answer that. You can do that over at wiredtohunt.com slash 100% wild. And Matt, what do you got? I'd like to add to that we'll probably be more consistent with our podcast here now that the thick of the hunting season's over. Once we get through the trade shows here in the next couple of weeks, I'd say we're going to probably be more consistent on a weekly basis and getting guests and, and all that type of thing now that things have kind of slowed down. So definitely get your questions submitted and off-season pertinent questions, turkey hunting questions, all those types of things, and we'll definitely try to take care of it. Uh, as far as us – like you said, check out the video version of this podcast on our Drury Outdoors YouTube page. Also, check out the DOD TV version of what we're doing over on the Drury Outdoors YouTube page. Tons of original hunts from last fall that have never seen, been seen before. A lot of the stuff that used to be on our DVDs, we're now doing on our YouTube page. So be sure to subscribe. Check it out. have a lot of cool things there. Uh, as always, you can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, uh, Twitter on the Drury Outdoors accounts. And lastly, I'd like to mention that uh, going into this 2017 season, for the first time in a long time, we're bringing on a couple new team members. So I'm looking for some serious videographers that have laid down some uh, good uh, uh, mature buck kills on video. Submit your reel to me at comments at juryoutdoors.com, and uh, we'd love to hear from you. So that's all I got, Mark.
That's exciting stuff. I uh, if I ever killed big deer, I'd, I'd try to send it into you, but it doesn't happen enough. <laughs> hey, I'm with you. I'm surprised they keep me around here. It's just, and <laughs> I need to make sure I keep doing all the grunt work in the studio as far as the sponsors and all that, and maybe they'll let me keep coming to the farm and hunt their place. Because for right now, I'm not getting it done on my lease. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Taylor's Taylor's got you beat as far as uh, sons and daughters that are killing the big ones, Matt. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. <laughs> hey, don't Terry. Mark's got you beat on brothers killing good deer too. <laughs> All right, Violent. everyone. Well, thank you everyone for listening and watching. Good luck out there. All right. Peace.